0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome to the Cosmo Happy Hour. It's everything you would talk about with your best friends, from sex to celebrity to entertainment. From the editors of Cosmopolitan.com, this is
2: the Cosmo Happy Hour with Elisa Benson. Election day is over, and our president elect is Donald Trump, much to the surprise of many passionate voters out there. Thousands of people have gathered together across the nation to protest the election results, some peaceful, some not. You can voice your opinion with your vote, but now where do we go from here? The election may be done, but there is so much more left to be discussed. I'm Elisa Benson. This is Cosmopolitan.com's Happy Hour podcast, and today we're talking about the only thing anyone is talking about, which is the aftermath of the 2016 presidential election. Joining me on the panel today is Amy O'Dell, site director of Cosmopolitan.com. Hi, Amy. Hey, girl. How are you feeling? Um, You know, it's... Uh it's been a hard week. It's been a hard week. Did you, it's been a hard week. Did you stay up to watch on election night? Did you watch the entire... I did stay up, and I watched as
1: much as I can, um, and it was hard to stomach, uh, but, you know, we had a job to do in the newsroom, and, uh, you know, we... We stayed really late, I think we stayed until the wee hours of the morning, and then I went home and um, slept for a few hours and then went right back to work.
2: So what has been the reaction from, you know, what has been the coverage on Cosmo in the past week? What kind of reaction are you seeing from readers? Sure. So, you know, when we look at political coverage
1: on Cosmo, we address issues that most directly affect our readers' daily lives, and that's why you see such a focus on... Reproductive freedom, on affordable access to birth control, and, uh, you know, should one of our readers need it, uh, the ability to easily and safely and affordably terminate a pregnancy. Um, other issues that are really important to us uh, combating uh, institutionalized racism,
2: uh, equal pay for equal work. Um, And I think, you know, I'm glad you started it in the place of sort of explaining why a brand like Cosmo, why fighting for women's issues in quotes is so important. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, like we all know that a lot of women's publications take some flack for that as if. Being a woman and caring about women's issues somehow means that you do not care about the economy or anything else, which, of course, we all know and our listeners all know isn't the case. But um, I think it's good to start in that place of saying, like, of course, those are going to be issues that we cover in detail because they affect all literally every single one of our yeah, readers. Yeah, and every
1: issue is a women's issue, so I almost hate to even use the term oh, or yeah. categorize what we're doing in that way. Um, family leave is another thing that's really important to our readers because, look, I mean. Women are saddled with the majority of child care. And if you're a single mom, you're going to be at an economic disadvantage um, in American society. So that's why we cover all of those things in depth. Uh, those are the things that we think affect our readers' daily lives quite a bit. Um, but, you know, we did a survey of our audience uh, this year. We did three political surveys in partnership with the Polling Institute from Harvard University. And You know, the top issues for our readers, like national security is a top issue for our readers. That's going to be a top issue for just about every voter. Mm -hmm. So our readers are really not out of step with the general general electorate, I would say, and what they care about. But so, you know, if you look at our coverage and we're thinking about these issues and we're putting a spotlight on the candidates um, in a way that we can deconstruct what they would do surrounding these issues and... uh, we did our best to hold their feet to the fire on both sides Mm -hmm. um and you know i I think that everyone was was a little stunned by by the results of the election just given that the polls were uh, so wrong so wrong Mm -hmm. yeah i was gonna say so in hillary's favor but so wrong so (laughs) So very wrong
2: wrong. Um, those polls were the worst um You know, Amy, I was actually just thinking about the last time we really talked about this in detail was actually on Election Day. We did Cosmo Live, which is our weekly, every Tuesday, um, Facebook Live series, um, Facebook.com slash Cosmopolitan. And remember, I was like wearing my red pantsuit and it was like Election Day. Yay. History. (laughs) And, you know, if only we had known.
1: Yeah. And things really took a turn. They really took a turn, uh, a sharp nosedive Let's say. Um, but you know, like the thing is, even though the majority of our readers, and the majority by a lot, I think,, um, oh, I can't remember the exact number from our poll, but, you know, like, I want to say over sixty or seventy percent of our readers were going to vote for Hillary Clinton. Um but that said, you know, we get a lot of feedback from people who voted for Trump and happily voted for Trump and are happy that he won. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the thing that I've been thinking about a lot is, What did we miss? I mean, I think the entire media industry, like the vast, vast, vast majority of which was opposed to a Trump presidency, um, I think it's safe to say, um, is like, what did we miss? Like, what don't we understand about the people who voted for him? And I think that we're definitely starting to think a little bit more about that as well. And we've we've already interviewed a lot of young women about why they support him. Because Cosmo is a brand where women should be able to speak their truth as long as it is not hateful rhetoric. Mm -hmm. We are not going to ever host hateful rhetoric um, as Cosmo anywhere and any channel of our brand. Um, But I think that we probably now need to do more coverage and more reach out to the young women um, who did vote for Trump and who feel excited and energized by his win.
2: I think one thing that's so interesting about the Cosmo, you know, about our readers is, you know, like we have a young, we have... We have Young's. <laughs> and, you know, so for some Cosmo readers, this might have been only the first time that they were voting. or And so, you know, I think there's been so much talk about how this election was so crazy and this election was more extreme than any election that we've ever had. But for a lot of Cosmo readers, like this is the only election they've ever known. And they've grown up in a time where, you know being very partisan and being very strongly worded, basically having no chill about your political beliefs on Facebook or on social media or anywhere else is very, very normal. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, I think that gives me hope. You know, I think there, and to some extent, we know this and we hear this from our college readers especially as well. You know, there's this sort of narrative about young people being... um We're not particularly interested in politics. But, you know, we know how fired up our readers are about this, you know, on both sides of the coin. And I think that's exciting because that is what will bring change, Um, you know, eventually electing our first female president and, you know, maybe hopefully pushing the Republican Party to be a little bit more pro-women in some of the ways that we have felt like it isn't. So I think that's really exciting and an exciting thing to remember about our readers is that they are... You know, if you're a 22 year old, you've grown up being super outspoken about political beliefs basically your whole life. Yeah. And I think, too, also since the returns
1: came in on Tuesday night, uh, I have seen our readers become more impassioned about politics than I have ever seen them. Mm -hmm. And it feels like there's a youth movement happening that I have not seen in my lifetime where people are getting really engaged. With politics, and I think that it will be interesting to see if this lasts. Mm -hmm. I'm not so sure that it will. um, But it's
2: hard to hold. You know, people are feeling some type of way right now, and you know, protests all over the country. You know, protests at high schools, students walking out. You know, that's talking about a population of kids who can't even necessarily vote or didn't vote. Um, But it's hard to hold on to anger. despite the way that we, that many people feel right now. Um, I think that's something I've been talking a lot about with my friends, you know, we had this little power brunch over the weekend, because everyone just needed, you know, it's so like, women, I'm like, we have to talk, we need to talk about this, but, you know, we were sort of saying, like, we need to do this, like, we need to set up these sort of, like, monthly power circles to just sort of, I think, remind us all to, to, to take the, Feelings that we're feeling right now, and do something productive with them.
1: Yeah, and the thing that I've really been thinking about is like, how do you take like the salons, let's say, that we might be having with our friends in New York, and connect them to the woman in Michigan whose husband lost her job and who's pregnant with a baby and feels helpless and hopeless. Right. And why aren't those women feeling? the way about the feminist movement that we are. Right. And that's the disconnect that I'm obsessed with right now.
2: Right. And and we think about that a lot at Cosmo because we do have a very like middle of the country reader base. You know, Cosmo girls are all over. Absolutely. And,
1: you know, our question, I think so many liberal feminists in New York were like, how did this happen? Why did women vote this way? How could they vote for this man? And it's just like the feminist movement really missed something. Mm-hmm. And that was that, for a lot of readers there's something more important to them or there are biases that are more ingrained than we thought that led them to vote for this man.
2: Mhm. That we weren't ready. No, we weren't ready, but I mean in a way like hopefully that will only make the movement stronger. Right. Right, exactly. So we have a whole um, list of some of our powerful friends that we are going to chat up. So, um, Amy, are you ready to jump on the phone? Absolutely. All right, let's do it. Our first guest today is a Democratic strategist and was the first African-American and fifth woman president of the Young Democrats. She is currently a Democratic National Committee member from Virginia and chair of the Planned Parenthood Metro Washington Action Fund Board of Directors. Welcome, Atima Amara. Hi, Atima. How are you? Hi, am great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. Are you in D.C. right now? I am. What is the mood like there?
3: Um, for the last few days, it's been, and certainly I noticed the day of the election and the day, I guess the day after the day after the election, mm-hmm. it's been really kind of quiet, um, you know, because it's just predominantly of the people who really pay attention to politics. Like, you know, Washington, D.C. is a pretty democratic city. Um, even when there's a Republican administration in town. But it's also, we have, you know, we have the White House, so there's a lot more Democrats um, on average in the city, and it's just been um, a little bit more sober. Um, Definitely, I heard from my friends, because I was in New York City at the election day party at Javits Convention Center, so I had a lot of my friends. So the morning of, when they were heading into work, it was it was extraordinarily quiet.
2: Extraordinarily quiet. So walk us through your election day. You know, how did it start? It, I guess it ended with you at the Javits Center and sort of being told, as we all now know, to go mm-hmm. home. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, my election day
3: started, um, I had gone to bed the next before Monday night. I had done three hours of GOTV door knocking, knocking on doors of our you know, identified supporters and others, you know, remember, rem- reminding them to get out and vote. This is the first year we're using photo ID in our elections in our state for, for president. Make sure to bring that. You have the right form of ID. The next morning I wake up. Um, I'm simultaneously packing to head to New York City, but um, I took a couple hours out of my morning to go work my polls. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, my polling place is is one that uh, is kind of a good snapshot of, I think, where most polling places are. It uh, is really, really uh, uh, packed. yeah. presidential years um a little quieter in the off years and you can pretty much sail in but like if you're coming before work and that six to nine rush before people head to the metro or get into cabs and stuff or walk to work um it was apparently the line was almost half like halfway down the block Man. <laughs> um so it was a lot more energy around the election this year than
1: normal
2: and so, as a member of the DNC, what are your goals? Like, what are what are you thinking and feeling? what are What is your plan to move forward? Um, my plan to move forward has been, been an interesting one. Um, it's only been a week.
3: Like, literally, I was thinking today, like, last Tuesday, I was excited about prospect of a Clinton presidency. I had a couple friends texting me about, uh, what did you wear to the inauguration in 2008? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, ball gown kind of look, like... I'm trying to get a draft, and people were just excited and feeling very good, to, uh, you know, a week later, thinking, wow, it's only been a week, and, you know, a conversation about where our party is moving forward is, is happening. People are still somewhat depressed. I was at a, a fundraiser last night for uh, a candidate who's running in 2017 next year. Um, And because we are in Virginia, we have our governor, lieutenant governor and attorney general elections next year. So for me, as a DNC member who's from Virginia, I'm thinking about next year um, because that will set the tone going to 2018. And I'm also thinking about what our party leadership is going to look like um, because now that Hillary Clinton is not the president, um, we have to settle the issue of who's going to be our chair since um, Donna was only to serve interim and she does not want to continue further. So, mm-hmm.
1: And can I ask you a question, Atima? Do you, mm-hmm. I feel like since the election, obviously this narrative has emerged that the Democrats completely fucked it up, basically. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that way? No. I mean,
3: it's <laughs> <laughs> I, just, like, I mean, there's there's some valid criticisms to be made about what more could be done and those conversations are slowly happening, but, you know, we won the popular vote. Um, the ground game in Virginia certainly is the money he spent almost uh, pretty much every weekend in October and in the end of September, uh, door knocking for Hillary, um, fundraising for Hillary, um, you know, doing everything, you know, doing media surrogate, hits when, when we're asked. Um, you know, that the ground game was solid um, in a lot of places. I think some places were... Um, did not have as much energy. You're talking about um, voter ID being in places after the Voting Rights Act uh, slashed a lot of protections, and that affected a lot of key battleground states like Wisconsin, Ohio, North Carolina for the African-American vote. Uh, You're talking about folks who had a lot of economic anxiety around this election, and that's a colorless issue, but when you're looking at some of the voters who came out for Trump, um, you know, they... It was an easily shifted narrative and sort of casting the blame on the immigrants are taking my job. You know, um, people of color are are responsible um, for, you know, my lack of advancement Um, instead of really having a kind of, um, you know, he he used that sort of anxiety to exploit, you know, folks' worst fears. And they just turned out more Um, at least deliver him the 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 edge to get the electoral votes.
1: Do you think, another question for you, do you think um, there would have been a way to explain uh, how the economy really works to the to the people who voted for Trump? Because it's not necessarily immigrants are coming and taking their jobs. It's mm-hmm. like technological advancement, really. Yeah. So like, yeah. it, would you think there even would have been a way to explain that to people who voted for him because they just want their factory job back?
3: yeah i think that there would have been a i think there should have been a conversation and i think it there was but it's not one that can be easily had in an election cycle when people's emotions are high and they've been feeling the economic uh strife for years um you know there's so many factors it's like uh you know obama did as much as he could with a congress that wasn't working with him for the majority of his term um a lot of those jobs weren't coming back. And then you kind of go into looking at it on the state level. And a lot of those states had, um, you know, Republican governors who are not really working on solutions to bring new jobs to those areas. In Virginia, you know, you had a, you elected a governor who was a businessman for most of his life with Terry McAuliffe. And, you know, you looked at those parts of Virginia that the jobs had pretty much left. And he's work to bring in new new plans, new businesses that need to hire, um, you know, a Fortune 500, Fortune 200 companies that need to hire more workers and trying to get them to relocate to those areas um, where those jobs have left. And there hasn't been, I think, that aggression in a lot of the Rust Belt state and a lot of the Midwest, which is where he got a lot of his votes
2: one of the other major stories that we're seeing come out of this is this flood of pro-choice supporters making donations to Planned Parenthood in Mike Pence's name. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm living for that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, how is Planned Parenthood gearing up for the new leadership to take office knowing that they might not have the support that Obama provides?
3: Uh, Well, I mean, I feel like um, I had a friend who texted me. It's been a uh, purchase actress in a long time as well and she said well fundraising is going to be fantastic with sort of her like mm-hmm. like <laughs> silver lining at the yeah time.
2: <laughs> people uh, have and never and wanted to give more to plan more than did. they do right now uh, no, okay. <laughs> um,
3: and i expect that um you know an email that i got was like all right uh take a few days we're going to hunker down and figure out what's next and that means you know protecting against defunding i mean we you know republicans have republicans have the white house republicans have the house um and just held on to the senate fairly um still have like i guess three seats we need to still get to get the majority um and you know it's unfortunate because um, when it comes to just purchase values once upon a time there was quite a few Republicans who were per choice, and one would say that it was a, a philosophy that definitely came out of uh, the Republican Party first out of the in the interest of uh, you know limited government. Like, you are talking about limited government, and then why are you directing how people should, uh, you know, their bodily autonomy when it sure. comes to reproductive rights? Um, and it has been more of a message taken up by Democrats. So really, at this point, I, you know, I talk about GOP, it's like, <laughs> I don't know any elected officials that are <laughs> more um, GOP anymore Um, pro-choice, so essentially we're looking at a government that's very anti-choice. You know, Trump sort of reaffirmed that message. Uh, So we're going to be looking at defunding um, Planned Parenthood efforts probably coming up. Uh, We're going to look at probably later abortion um, bans being introduced after 20 weeks, without the exception of the health of the mother. We're going to be seriously looking at what's going to happen to the contraception mandate in ACA. Paul Ryan decided he wanted to dismiss it by calling it a a nitty-gritty detail that women are concerned about, and to Jake Tapper's credit in that interview, like, 99% of women use it. I don't really think we should be dismissing it that way. Um. Yeah, I mean,
1: can I just say, like, women are concerned about it and he's not, because he doesn't have to buy a $5,000 IUD for his penis.
3: Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And it's for like, his nitty-gritty um, penis. <laughs> is, right, you know, and it's, it's frustrating um, as somebody who, you know, pretty much by and large is how I got into politics was, you know, I got very activated around uh, the Bush administration. I was involved in a couple of Iraq War walkouts, and um, right after college, I'd been working for Mark Warner when he was governor, and the March Women's Lives came up, and I saw these Bush and a bunch of white guys sign the late, later abortion man without the exception of the health of the mother, and, you know, I was like, all right. Um, I do whatever I can to help. Uh, and, you know, I, I organize, you know, hundred or some young people to, in, in the Young Dems um, and related organizations to come to D.C. for the March for Women's Lives, and I've always been a volunteer working professionally in that work um, in between campaigns as much as I can and um, give my time to it because it is it is so important, um, and the fact that we're having conversations. With you know i am uh you know my colleagues and the movement work about all right let's get your iud now <laughs> right covered let's talk about um in new york is a great organization i think it's haven for women who travel far away for their abortions we're talking about that network kind of opening in dc we're talking about sort of an underground railroad of sorts. we're thinking of everything we can to protect um you know uh women and, and children and uh Uh, when it comes to just access to healthcare and it's uh, it's scary.
2: And Atima, it actually it is scary but just hearing you talk about it and knowing that people like you are out there fighting the good fight on our behalf like it makes me happy (laughs) what is something readers or listeners I guess I always say readers but this is a podcast (laughs) listeners who are feeling fired up and inspired by everything you're saying like what is something they can do today and then maybe something they can do by the end of the year if they really want to get involved but they're not sure where to start
3: absolutely Um, well Planned Parenthood. And I nice think about Planned Parenthood, <laughs> many of them. Um, so get involved in your local Planned Parenthood. Find out your local affiliate. You can use go on the national website and I think put in your zip code and find where your affiliate is. Um, obviously donate because not only do we have an action fund, fund arm, you know, which I chair um, my local affiliate that's focused on political actions and lobbying in the General Assembly um, to protect um, the service work that we do. But they actually do provide services, everything from pap smears, um, you know, to checkups, to abortions, to um, uh, cancer screenings, and everything of the whole range of of women's um, and men's health. Honestly, Um, and give to your local um, abortion fund. I be remiss in saying I was not saying that I was a DC uh, a member of the DC abortion fund organization that supported um, those who could not afford the cost of an abortion, because um, usually they would be either on Medicaid, Medicare, or some form of federally funded health care that, um, because of the Hyde Amendment, uh, was uh, restricts um, them using their health care for abortion. So raising money for those folks, raising money for folks who just can't afford it, even if their um, insurance does cover it. Um, those organizations are doing so much amazing grassroots work. Um, they're setting up the clinic appointments, they're taking calls in the hotline of desperate people. Um, you know, they're getting them to the doctors, uh, making sure that you know uh, where your elected officials stand on the issue, um, you know, and being in their face about it. Um, if, they're, if they're being wishy-washy. Um, I'm very lucky I have a man who uh, is very choice and even signed on to um, the bill that would have um, made abortion uh, bans for federal insurance uh, uh, illegal. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm good in that case, but there's some places where you're living and you don't have that. So,
2: and uh, I I actually have a question about that because I feel like that's mm-hmm. another thing that's been floating around social media is you know sort of this idea of getting more involved with your local and state leaders and speaking up mm-hmm. and making a phone call and why a phone call is more effective than an email. Mm-hmm. What would you recommend to somebody who has never called <laughs> a government official before? And again, these are millennials we're talking about who try to avoid yeah. using the phone at all like costs. What's the phone? Yeah, what's <laughs> a phone? What do you say? What do you say? Uh, yeah,
3: <laughs> actions are important. So I've I've been on both sides, right? Like I've worked for an administrator, uh, a governor, a government, and, and an administrative that's kind of like an, administering the process of taking in all of these letters. Um, and so, you know, a lot of organizations have it set up now where you can basically add your name to a petition and it gets sent. And, you know, if it's a small number, it hardly registered. If it gets to be a very, 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 very large number, um, it's definitely noticed. Um, Being active online, um, you know, a small percentage of the universe is active online, but the media is online, members of Congress are online, and they're noticing what's happening, they're noting topics that are trending, so many apologies have been forced by elected officials.
2: Right, that's a good point.
3: Yeah, you know, because of something I said. I mean, Trump went from, like, calling protesters, like, paid people incited by the media to the next morning being like, I love, like, protesters. <laughs> Shine the wonderness of the country. And that's because people on, on Twitter were like, and, and the media were like, what the hell? Right. Um, <laughs> so, um, now being active online. And honestly, um, you know, figuring out what you really care about and um, going to their offices and getting to know, their staff um and and they know oh here she comes um, specific issue mm-hmm. um but it matters you know i was uh, you know one senator's office um it went from like oh well the senator doesn't really have a position to because i annoyed them like three or four times coming <laughs> kind of within a month right um you know they were like okay we have to have more than but I don't really have a position. <laughs> and don't really have um, conversations folks that I brought along with me the next time that I was doing the meeting. Um, and so, it, I think
2: know. that's a good point because mm-hmm. I think a lot of us have felt and maybe this election will be a turning point for this reason like government is very untouchable and very far away and I think Mm -hmm. the sort of enormous emotional reaction that so many Americans are having to the way this election went I think is a reminder that it hits close to home in a way that I think people some people might have been surprised to feel um which is a long way of saying that the idea of like going and having a conversation doesn't have to seem as foreign as it sounds
3: yeah I mean I feel you know for the record as sort of uh you know, African-American woman, my parents are immigrants, um, you know, I have family members who had, you know, disabilities, mental illness, and, um, you know, I grew up in a more working-class area. It's a little bit more suburban now um, than it was when I was a kid. And, you know, I've always felt somewhat, you know, othered um, in my life given how different, you know, my name, my, my features. I just kind of stick out and I always have. Um... And so, it's weird. What has sort of what got me into politics? I wanted to, you know, make it better for everyone. Everybody feel part of the greater, uh, greater America, and not unloved, unwanted. Um, you know, feeling like they could be full citizens of, of this government and respected. You know, regardless of all of their, you know, varied backgrounds. And we're at a situation right now where there's a good portion of the population who doesn't feel that way. Right. Um, and that's super scary. Um, and uh, that's hard to deal with. Uh, for me, I guess what keeps me going, and I'm still, don't get me wrong, I'm still like in the doldrums of, so, like, right. as <laughs> it were, about this whole election and, and everything. What's kept me going is that, you know, my father got here to the U.S. Um, because his government fell apart and you know he didn't even pack up his stuff he just sold his like bikes um, that he always would take to work and um, didn't tell anybody where he was going and literally boarded uh, you know a plane and like you know pretended to be somebody else um, and left his country and didn't like have any contact with his family for like 30-40 years right. and you know I don't ever want anybody to ever in this country that is a democracy <laughs> ever feel that way Right. Um, and ever be in that situation because the situation is terrifying um, and I know that it blows right now for <laughs> those who voted for Hillary Clinton and for those who are progressive right. um, but uh, we have to keep going. Um, we can't become the um, reason that so many people um, have come here. Um, it is a democracy. Sometimes the results are terrible, and they're not what we like. But we have to we have to keep going. And I'm uh, happy to be in a country where, you know, um, despite my feelings on the subject, uh, you know, we have an outgoing leadership that I love. Right. Is really determined, in spite of all the things that were said in the election, to make sure we have a peaceful transition.
2: Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, peace is a good note to end on. <laughs> Atima, <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk to us and for continuing to fight the good fight for all of us out there. We really appreciate it.
3: Absolutely. Thank you so
2: much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Sometimes standing out is about doing things differently than everyone else. Sometimes it's just wearing the right pair of shades, and sometimes it's doing both. I want to tell you guys about my latest obsession, the coolest company taking over the sunglass industry right now, Diff Eyewear. I have a pair of sunglasses from them in my bag right now that I'm super obsessed with. They have these cool blue mirrored lenses um, and sort of like a cool patterned frame. Diff Eyewear offers stylish handmade sunglasses constructed with high-end materials. They promise to be good or... They promise to be as good or even better than designer sunglasses, but without costing two to three hundred dollars. Instead, diff sunglasses start at just fifty dollars a pair. And the best part: for every pair of sunglasses you buy, diff eyewear will give a pair of reading glasses to someone in need. You can get one in every color you like, and still pay less than some designer brands. It just makes sense. So, as always, I'm going to hook you guys up with a deal. Do good, buy smarter, be diff. Go to diffeyewear.com/cosmo right now to get 15% off your purchase that's diff d-i-f-f eyewear.com slash cosmo for 15% off i'm going to say that one more time just to make sure you have it diff slash cosmo and get your 15% off deal our next guest was named by the world economic forum as a young global leader in new york's 25 top rising latinos in 2013 among other awards She is a Colombian immigrant who became an award-winning entrepreneur and CEO of Cyan, a consulting and marketing firm in New York specializing in unlocking the power of multicultural markets, especially Hispanics. Hello, Lili Gilbayeta. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. Hello. Hi, how are you, Lili?
3: Great. Thank you for having me.
2: Thank you so much. Um, So we're talking all about um, the aftermath of the election, which, of course, is the only thing that anyone uh, is talking about right now. How are you personally feeling now that Trump is our president-elect?
4: You know, I think um, that regardless of political affiliation, uh, the entire country went into shock because uh, the unthinkable happened for many that kind of undermined Trump's candidacy. And, of course, there's so much anticipation and so much excitement for potentially electing the first female president that there, there are feelings that are conflicting all around from both sides about what just happened. So I think, like many, I'm trying to kind of grasp what it means, um, get over the emotions as fast as I can because we got to move forward. Right. Um we got to move forward. Whether you agree and celebrate the outcome or completely are in chalk and rejected, at some point we got to come together and figure it out together. Uh, so I think I share on the emotions of, of all and uh-huh. both sides, actually. Sure. Yeah, absolutely.
2: So according to the exit polls, 65% of Latino voters favored Hillary Qu- Clinton and 29% mm-hmm. favored Donald Trump. So what are your concerns for the Latino community considering that <laughs> the majority, the candidates? the majority favored to win, didn't?
4: Yeah, so, you know, um, while Hispanics, and here's an interesting fact about our community, we actually tend to be independents, which is why I always say, my gosh, don't take us for granted, Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, typically the Hispanic voter votes for candidates and policies and not necessarily for parties. But the Democratic Party has had a great success being relevant to this community, particularly because They do the outreach. Um, they show up in the communities and there's key topics around, um, you know, social programs that are important to our community, immigration, which is always a very emotional issue that, um, you know, Democrats have typically had a plan and a voice in those topics. Um, but this time, you know, even though immigration became, uh, you know, I've called it the political piñata um in this electoral process because it kept getting hit from all angles um trump actually got more than mitt romney did and a lot of people may not even realize that yes there's a ton of uh folks favoring hillary but he in a very unique way as we're all trying to understand um how he got to victory you know uh, was able to resonate with one in three Latinos, almost. But why do you think is that is? So I have some theories, and I actually wrote a, an op-ed this week about that. Um, I, You know, I'm a big data nerd, and what we do with our company is, is always founded in data, because we can get really emotional about these topics. So we research what are the top issues for Hispanics across different groups, so millennials, women, men, you name it. And immigration is the number seventh issue for Hispanic millennials. It's the number four issue for all Hispanics, period. The number one is jobs in the economy. And I think that in a, in a very unique and clever way, he was able to resonate with people that probably are looking for the um, jobs in the economy promise, which really is what he ran on. And let's you know, take back our country, bring jobs back and remove tax burdens and all this stuff. And I think that's why that almost 30 percent went for Trump out of, you know, our own community, despite all the other off color comments, of course, uh, throughout the campaign.
2: But well, well, one we'll of the
4: see. I think we're still trying to analyze the numbers and see what happened.
2: Right, right. You know, of course, one of the comments that Donald Trump has made is that he's vowed to deport between two and three million immigrants. How do mm-hmm. how do you even process hearing something like that <clears throat> from our future president?
4: You know what's what's crazy, and and I hope and pray that that, that I that this this works out the way I'm, I'm thinking and speculating it. So. Um, I almost feel like he ran on a campaign that was taking a page out of his art of the deal and experience as a reality TV personality. Sure. Throwing things that were so far out, like he now has gone from, we're going to document, you know, deport everybody and rally them up and there's going to be a deportation force, that's 11 million people that are undocumented, to now saying, well, maybe it's the two or three million that are, criminals and have criminal record. So while that is still a big number, but anyone in their right mind will of course agree that it makes sense for us to not have people with a record that on top of it happen to be undocumented. But that's a big departure from how he ran his campaign, talking about a deportation force and 11 million people affected. So I think even though he's trying to temper his position with this like 60 minutes interview that he did which was like another person Um, people are still in uncertainty because okay so how much do we believe do we need to hide there's families that are terrified of being separated because a lot of people have kids that are U.S. born and the parents were not so we just have to wait and see but being in a state of wait and see has people you know just scared day by day and I think it, it's it's just it's just unfair and it's very unsettling and not healthy for the country, actually.
1: I think a lot of people don't realize too how many people obama has has deported.
4: Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for bringing that up. And it's one of those things that um it it's so funny and and I hate to even borrow words from the Trump campaign because. I do not, you know, read, you know, align to those, but um, you know how they keep saying the media is rigged and the media is rigged. Well, that is one of those facts. What you just said that hasn't been openly reported. Um, President Obama has deported more um, immigrants than the last like three or four administrations combined. So some people have even called him the uh, the Porter in Chief. But that doesn't make the news, and it hasn't been mentioned as much. So, um, I don't know. That is where I, myself, get puzzled. And I am, like, one of those Latinas that votes for candidates and not for parties. And and it's it's confusing. That's why, again, I call it the immigration piñata, because even <laughs> though it's not the number one issue, it gets used and tossed around and kicked and hit because it's emotional, because... You can put kids' faces right next to it and families. I just think it's it's so unfair um, from both sides, um, where there's been promises on one end and there's been no reform, and now on the other one, criminalizing the immigrants. Like, we're stuck in the middle like a sandwich as a community, just being thrown around from side to side. Right. So hopefully something happens, because the excuse of not getting things done under gridlock it's no longer an excuse when you have House, Senate, and President with the same party association. So we'll see.
2: Right, right, we'll See what right.
4: excuse gets thrown out. <laughs>
2: I have no idea. Right. We'll, see. we'll definitely wait and see for sure. Well, thank you so much, Lili. We really appreciate you taking the time to jump on the phone with us. Of course. No,
4: one. thank you for covering this important thing. I think my final thought is all of us, everyone that's listening, I'm sure we have different views, different parties. But at the end of the day, we have to come together as one America um, is the only way that we're going to move forward in a healthy and productive way. And I hope we figure that out. Right now, we're going through the stages of mourning or loss in a way which are logical and human um, I just hope we figure out how to come together as media, professionals minorities, women, you name it to figure this out as a unit
2: Well said, I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much Lily. Thank you so much ladies, have a good day. You too, bye 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 Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports tech, entertainment and more Play It at play.it Our final guest has been involved in many aspects of Republican Party politics, beginning her career in Ronald Reagan's White House. She was Mike Huckabee's senior advisor for the 2008 election and was the president of Americans United for Life and is a regular political commentator and Donald Trump supporter. Please welcome Dr. Charmaine Yost. Hi, Charmaine. Hi, great to be with you. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, How has this week been for you? this has been an amazing week. It's hard to believe it's been a full week. And,
5: um, you know, there's just nothing like an election in Washington, D.C. because, you know, it's kind of a company town. This is what we do, politics. Even a- across the aisle, you know, those of us who live here, we've we've been through, um, you've been through wins, you've been through losses, and
2: um, it's kind of nice this time around. And what are the main reasons that you personally support Donald Trump?
5: Well, I think that one of the things that's that often gets lost in a lot of the coverage of some of the controversies in this election has been how deeply um, divided these two candidates were on the issues. And they were particularly divided on the issues that really matter to me and to a lot of people who vote on, for example, the life issue. There's a really, really dramatic difference between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton on the life issue, particularly if, uh, if everyone remembers from that last debate where Hillary made a real strong defense of partial birth abortion and Donald Trump didn't back down, um, it's a little unusual to see a politician who's willing to articulate at their defense of the life issue as strongly as he did in that debate. And he won a lot of people on that. So for me in particular, that was a pivotal moment in the election.
1: And as a woman, are you not concerned or are you willing to overlook? the uh, dozen-plus allegations of women who say that he sexually assaulted them? Well, I think it's really important to always emphasize the fact that, of course, it's a concern.
5: And, of course, there were a lot of us who were paying really close attention to it. I, however, was also concerned about the fact that it came so late in the election, not giving us a chance to fully vet the allegations, if you will. Are you suggesting that
1: they are not um, true allegations?
5: I'm not making any suggestion at all. I'm saying that it came very late in the game, and I would have liked to have had a whole lot more time to to hear about it. And so he came forward, and two things that he did, first off, he's completely denied it, um, going so far as to say that he was willing to sue for defamation um, on each and every case that came forward. And then secondly um i imagine you're also referring to the the tape that came out with um billy bush yeah billy bush and access hollywood i i I like the fact that he was uh issued a categorical categorical apology and said that he was embarrassed by it um you know this is this is not uh, a candidate or a man who who does that kind of thing lightly and so the fact that he did issue such a sweeping apology for it was um, significant to me.
1: And are you suggesting that if you had had more time to hear from the accusers who came forward, that that somehow would have changed your opinion of him or your opinion of the accusers? I'm Like, how I'm might becau- that have changed um, how that impacted I'm the race? I'm just saying
5: that I didn't feel like there, you know, that it came down to, um, allegations that we you know you can't there's not I tend to having been in this business for a very long time I don't like to evaluate things like that
1: based on news articles so how else would you evaluate them
5: in a court of law
1: so you think that they should be taken to court for what they said
5: i I think that that's up to them to decide but I that's that would be my preference well i don't know that it really is up to them to decide i think i think this is something that um that perhaps we could agree on which is that i do think questions of sexual harassment are very very serious and i think that we need to support people in coming forward and taking them to a court of law which is where they belong
1: the accusers or the perpetrators Well, the accusers would be the one who would take it to a court. Well, you can't, though, because the statute of limitations. I was making a general statement. But for these women as who, a ma- were, as a matter, who were... As a, matter,
5: as a matter of principle.
1: I mean, I think that there's lots of reasons, though, that accusers don't do that. And, you know... <laughs> Sure. I I think that the system is kind of rigged against accusers in many ways. And I think that what you're saying, you know, and saying that they should have gone to court and that their day has passed and, oh, he apologized and that's enough, is part of the reason that people don't come forward.
5: Well, you're asking me how I
1: how I made a
5: difficult decision. And um, those are some of the those are some of the thought processes that I went through.
2: Um, Charmaine, you know, I think aside from the sexual assault allegations, because, you know, to your point, this is something that, you know, we don't know if is proven at this point in time. But, you know, there Donald Trump has made a lot of comments on record that many women and minorities and those in the LGBT community, you know, are made them feel like targets. And I think there's a lot of fear right now. What would you say to people that are actually feeling afraid about the president elect?
5: You know, I think that I do hear a lot of this language of fear, and I think it's really troubling and unfortunate that a lot of the fear is being uh, whipped up and encouraged um, in in the media. One of the things that I was really pleased about is I saw President Elect Trump take that very seriously in um, specifically in his acceptance speech and in the week following, trying to. You know, put calming language out there, talking about wanting to be president of all the people, talking about wanting to bring people together. And I would predict that you're going to see a lot more of that, of of working to bring people together and to find common ground.
1: At the same time, though, he has issued a number of tweets sort of attacking the press and people's right to assembly. So how do you reconcile, you know, the fact that, yes, he has been perhaps more conciliatory since winning the election with what he's still putting out on social media?
5: Well, I think that, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, that he has said about his own Twitter is that he uses it as a way to defend himself and to put his side of the story out there. And um, so, and he's also said that he'll be doing lots of that as he moves into the White House, I guess we'll see.
2: I think, um, you know, you are used to working as an advisor for political candidates. Definitely Trump's use of Twitter has seemed a little unconventional. And, you know, sometimes you can tell he's like popping off late at night. Does that give you any pause? Is that something you would advise against?
5: Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Leslie Stahl asked him about that in the 60 Minutes interview uh, a few nights ago, and I thought that his he, he remarked about the fact that, you know, if you try to go back and rewind the tape and, and second guess and armchair quarterback and say, could you have done this differently or that differently, he did win, and um, uh, against a lot of odds, against most of the media being against him, against everyone predicting that he wasn't going to win, he has said, a huge platform on Twitter. Um, there was one analysis done that showed, uh, that compared the, the audience that he has and the reach that he has on Twitter to, you know, what you get on, on cable television. And it, it was pretty dramatic. So, you know, certainly, you know, you can, you can say, well, you know, you shouldn't have done this, you shouldn't have done that. But I think that it's a new reality for politicians that they're going to have to really assess and create new ways of communicating with sort of this brave new world that we live in of social media.
1: Sure. Um, So you do think that he should keep tweeting, as he has been, however he feels like, whenever he feels like?
5: (laughs) Well, I think he's going to make up his own mind on that. Um, That's probably true, (laughs)
1: although didn't his advisors keep him kind of away from it a little bit towards the end of the campaign?
5: Well, I think that he—I mean, he did clearly say to Lovely Stahl that he's aware that being president, the, the, you know, it's a—it's a different context. So, um, you know, I guess <laughs> I guess we'll see where he lands on that.
2: Um, final question for you, Charmaine, and thank you so much for taking the time to join us. If you, you know, I think one of the—I think there were a lot of reasons that Hillary Clinton supporters were really you know, upset about this election. But of course, one of those reasons is that there was a lot of excitement around the idea of electing our first female president. If you could mm-hmm. nominate any female for the next presidential campaign, who would it be?
5: Oh wow. I love that question. I'll have to think about that some more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know it's interesting and I, I guess I would I would challenge your listeners and, and readers to take a look at the really deep bench that Republicans do have. Of among women, I mean, one of the reasons that I agreed to do this interview, even though, despite the fact that obviously there's a pretty deep divide between the way that we look at things, is that I feel like we should be talking to each other more. And there, you know, one of the more difficult things about this election was this idea of, you know, what does it mean to be a woman in our culture today, and what does it mean to be pro woman, what does it mean to be a strong woman, and. even today, um, Kathy McMorris Rogers, who is in the leadership of the House Republicans, was, um, speaking at a press conference. She was just on television a few minutes ago. She's, she's a fantastic person. Um, you know, uh, Christine O.M. uh, is, uh, also serving on the, on the transition team. You, I mean, another, going back to our earlier conversation about why, why do I support Donald Trump? Kellyanne Conway, you know, elevated to be the first uh, first female campaign manager on the GOP side and the first winning female campaign manager in history you know that that made a significant difference to me to look at donald Trump and to say you know he elevated her he trusted her um, he he uh, interacted with with her in a respectful way so I think that you know you have to look at look at the whole man and you know I, I don't know if we have a couple more minutes but Um, there are a few more things that I, that I'd be interested in saying about Hillary Clinton, if we do have time,
2: we do have to wrap up here, Charmaine, but I do really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Sure. Good to talk with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. So this has been an emotional episode in many ways. Amy, final thoughts on talking after, you know, talking to our three guests today. Um, you know, did this make you feel better or worse than you felt
1: an hour ago when we started? I think the same. <laughs> yeah, I think the same. Um I think that our last guest did have a good point that like the two sides do need to be talking to each other. Um that is true, but I I don't know. I I alternate since the election between feeling extremely scared and feeling like, "Wow, well, we've had um perhaps ill prepared (laughs) administrations in the past and can things get worse and we've survived it. And, you know, like being women, like we're the underdogs Mm -hmm. and, um, we always keep going and like, there's always been like a Donald Trump somewhere in every woman's life. And like, we keep going. And I think that that's what we have to remember that, um, as and, troubling as as the election of Donald Trump is, you know, in terms of the place of women in society and the place of people of color in society, um, like we keep going. We persevere, and I will and that say- won't stop just because he's in office
2: right. And I will say that even though we had, you know, three guests with very different points of view, um, you know, that was sort of a common thread in the conversations is this idea of, <laughs> Unity and wanting to move forward, and kind of wanting to get to work. Um, so that's one thing we all agree on—that
1: <laughs> we have to get to work. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, the um, the fire that young people feel for this election, and young women in particular, will last a long time and have lasting change. And maybe that change will be. I mean, I don't even know if I should say this, but maybe it would have been bigger than if Hillary Clinton was elected and people's predictions were fulfilled. Like, would that have made us complacent?
2: Right. Right. And I don't
1: necessarily think that there is any silver lining to this for the people who are feeling particularly distraught by the election. But I'm kind of hoping that um, the apathy that our generation has felt uh, for politics will um, be dramatically reduced, I guess, moving forward
2: and I and right and I think the emotional level that so many people are feeling this on will hopefully be a catalyst for change and for more involvement and more activism or as I like to say getting political (laughs) (laughs) and on that note (laughs) but Amy thank you so much for joining us and this is a Again, I keep saying we've been talking about this nonstop, but it doesn't necessarily get any easier at this moment in time to talk about. So thank you for making the time to do this. Um, And as always, Amy, do you want to shout out the best place for people to follow you? And disagree with you. And oh, yeah, yeah. You. Um, <laughs> Or also agree with you. <laughs> yeah. If you're a hater or a lover, you can find me
1: on Twitter at Amy O'Dell, A-M-Y-O-D-E-L-L, or on Instagram, I-N-S-T-A-M-Y-O-D-E-L-L, in O'Dell, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Amy O'Dell Books.
2: You need to get some, like, you need to get some handles, like some consistent handles. <laughs>
1: yeah but it's like it's not possible at this point
2: <laughs> there's too many amy odells
1: i guess they should have done things earlier i don't know i don't know it's i hard. didn't start doing instagram until like a little over a year or two ago
2: you're a late adopter.
1: i was a late adopter,
2: <laughs> but you we'll with call- no regrets actually. right exactly um well thank you guys as always for listening um if you love listening to the cosmopolitan.com happy hour podcast every week please share it and subscribe and like it and email it to your mom and whatever else you do with the podcast. As always, I am your host, Elisa Benson. You can find me on Twitter and Insta and Snapchat at Elisa Benson. And if there are things you want to see us talk about on a future episode of the podcast, hit me up and let me know. I love hearing from you guys. Thanks so much. Bye.